Well, welcome to the True Man Podcast with Mike Van Pelt, the comeback coach, helping you gain peace, clarity, and understanding in your walk with God as a man, a father, and a spouse. Hey, get involved with the show. Send your email to mike at truemanlifecoaching.com. If you're wondering what's gone adrift in my masculine soul and asking, is there more to life? This is where it begins. This is the True Man Podcast. So welcome to the True Man Podcast with Mike Van Pelt. This is an invitation to radical reconstruction of a man's masculine heart and soul in a place of safe community where we dare to ask questions deep-seated inside a man and explore ways to help you become a better man, a better dad, and a better spouse. Well, thanks for joining me on the show and listening. I sure appreciate all my great listeners out there. You know, I think today's True Man podcast is going to pump you up. No, seriously. Well, more about that in a minute. So listen, part of being the best man you can be, I'm convinced, is being both mentally and physically in good health. And I'm also a big believer, of course, that you better have your spiritual life in order. And I'm sure today's guest agrees with that. So welcome to the podcast, Tom Touchstone. Now, he is a content creator and consultant across the corporate religious life and fitness industries. And I'm willing to bet we're going to hear some interesting stories today from his Bible <laughs> and his faith journey. Tom, welcome to the True Man podcast. Mike, it's such a pleasure to be on with you. And it's such a awesome uh, uh, a privilege and honor to be on your show i love it i consume your content i love the gambling addiction show with your friend that uh, spoke to my heart so i tell your, your 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 viewers go out and watch mike's content he does a great job you know i i love just uh like uh, uh when i when i saw what you did i i threw out a pitch to you just to be on your show because i do believe there is a true man and I do believe in what you said, because I think the Bible says that it is body, soul, and spirit. And I don't think yeah. until you have those three together, <laughs> you're not a complete man. People think we are. Oh, no. I, listen, I see people uh, all the time. It's been one of my um, blessings in my life to be involved in men's small group and, and go on these yeah. retreats. <clears throat> and you see men all the time. They show up in the tanks on E. <laughs> they said they they show up and the tanks on empty and uh, they they leave knowing that they they you know had a great opportunity to hear the voice of God and and fill their tank. But enough of that. Let's get on with you now. Listen, Tom. Wow, you've got an incredible background. You know, listen, man. Tom was a professional bodybuilder and the 1985 Mister California and a runner up to Mr. USA in 1986. That's badass. There's a true man right there. So Tom, well, you know, talk with us about how, how did all that get started? You know, um, one of the things people ask me, because the eighties were the golden years of bodybuilding. Yeah. I walked into gold's gym uh, when I was 18 year old because I graduated. And my dad told me that I either paid rent here in Bakersfield, California, or I could go someplace sell some print. I wasn't a smart guy. Didn't get a lot of good grades. I was more of a jock. Uh, um, when I was in high school, but um, an injury forced me to get a, a, a focus on real life, which I wasn't prepared for. But I did tell my dad that if he didn't mind, I'd like to move to LA. So my dad got me an apartment in Inglewood, California. And a lot of people think, you know, that's down by the forum. And is it, was it different in 1976? And I said, not a bit. That's all my dad could afford. And so that's where I was. That was, was pre-Magic Johnson. So, you know, not yes, so great back then, right? <laughs> yes, it was. So yeah, I always loved fitness. And I had a, uh, uh, somebody who lived in the complex and he asked me if I wanted to go to the gym. And I said, sure. So uh, I got a chance to walk into the second location of Gold's Gym in Venice. Walked in and met some really amazing guys. A couple that are still here. Robbie Robinson was the first guy I ran into. Robbie was, you know, he's done everything in the industry and um, just nice to me. He was just saying, hey, Tom, if I can help, let you know. Ran into some other characters. I mean, I worked out with Arnold and um, we're not best friends. I don't have a cell number. <laughs> I was a young teenager and I was just, uh, I was insane and I was driven. And uh, that's the thing that kept the old guys going. People want to know, though, do you have an Arnold story? Oh, uh, 
Arnold stories are too much. I got one Arnold story because <laughs> um, later in my career, I uh, was a uh, host on ESPN Muscle Magazine. I was one of the first. Oh, wow. You know, I forgot about that show. <laughs> That's going way yep. back. Yeah, I, I was a host. And um, there was a guy named Lou Zwick. Lou was a producer. And we were at Worlds one day because a lot of the Golds guys early on, Joe Gold sold it to a guy named Ken Sprague, which in turn sold it to my friends, Pete Grimkowski, Tim Kimber, and Ed Connors. I'm still in great contact with Ed. They, wanna, they have a book out called The Three Musketeers about the early days of Gold's Gym. They're the ones that really took it nationwide. But Joe Gold uh, uh, kind of got upset that he sold his name and he started a gym called Worlds. So all the old school guys went to Worlds. That means Arnold and Franco and yeah. Frank Zane and all the old guys. They all went to the Worlds. So if you wanted to work out with Arnold, you had to go to Worlds. So we were training calves and there's an upstairs calf machine. We walked up there and we Arnold didn't like to wait for anything. And if he hears the story, he may not remember it, but I do because... <laughs> because it affected me more than him because I was at the beginning of my career. So Lou was doing calves. And as we walked up there, Lou was doing calves and Arnold goes, Lou, do so you uh, uh, go to the beach. Do you, uh, do you walk on the beach without your sandals on? And Lou goes, yeah. So I can see Lou's minds kind of thinking, where are we going with this story? So I'm just a young kid, but I'm working for Lou. And he said, he goes, so when you go on the beach, Lou, with the sandals off and you walk on the sand, do you sink up to your knees? And what that meant was Lou didn't have any calves. So there wasn't <laughs> anything to stop Lou. from. And Lou looked at him and goes, Arnold, do you want to use the calf machine? He goes, that would be nice, Lou. And so we, we kicked him off. And later I went up to Lou and I said, hey, Lou, I'm sorry. That's just him. And a lot of people around him know that. And Arnold's a great guy, but uh, everybody's got the stories. I mean, there again, I was fodder yeah. for the, I was fodder for the fire. So, I mean, basically I was the early morning guy that would come in and I, I was strong. I was young. Arnold was at the tail end of his career. And I used the younger guys. A lot of the younger guys would come in as older guys. When I got older in my career, I just say, Hey, you want to work out? Cause I needed their energy. I needed their spark. My flame had kind of died out. I uh, had a 10-year run, which in bodybuilding is a long run. I mean, the people are doing it longer than I did. But I, I had a, a, a real, um, there's an underbelly to that industry. I mean, it's Hollywood, especially in the um, 80s. When I walked into the Gold's Gym in 77, 76, Pumping Iron didn't come out to really 78. So muscles were still kind of a cultish uh, endeavor. Well, I was just going to say, no, I, I do recall that. I grew up in the 80s, right? We, we were, as athletes, we, it wasn't that big a deal to get in the gym. It, you know, it wasn't, you know, not, not like it is today. But how did all that, how did, uh, how did going down that kind of career path as a professional athlete, how did that, uh, how did that affect your life? Well, I, I, I ended up kind of more of a business deal in a marriage because I was under contract <laughs> with, with Joe Weider, who owned the industry, and I was a young guy. The, the one thing that they noticed when the, um, when the market took off, when they realized that if Hollywood needed muscles, they would come to us. I did a lot of calendar work and print work, but they had to come, but they needed to change the culture because the culture back in the 70s, early 80s, you know, you'd go to a Gold's Gym and people were looking in like this. Yeah, because the people on the inside didn't really have a very receptive attitude for people coming in because they were kind of, you know, it's, it's, we were kind, it was kind of a cult. I mean, I'm just saying that. I mean, my friends don't like me to say that, but it is. I mean, we, we you know, the, the guys didn't want to share the weights. There was absolutely zero if maybe one woman in the gym the whole day. Where nowadays you go in a gym and women are there. Right. I, mean, I remember the introduction of women's bodybuilding and it took the world by storm and it is by no means what it looks like today. And so, so, so it was just a, a, a whole culture change and the industry wanted to use a lot of us younger guys. There's a picture out there of me. I had a Porsche and I had a, uh, you know, it's, it's an egotistical industry, Mike. Sure. And so you, can, sure. you, 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 with, you've got the male alpha going on. You got yeah. the steroid rage going on. I was yeah. a steroid addict. I was doing everything, blood doping, growth hormone, every anabolic you can, could, uh, just because you, you know, that's what I was shooting for. But, but, but it took my marriage down a, a rat hole. I mean, you know, you know, everybody wanted to be around muscle. So when Gold's Gym went to its location now, which is um, over off of Hamilton and Lincoln, is, is 
And then it, pumping iron came out. Everybody was like fascinated. Everybody came to the gym. I used to tell people my friends were prostitutes and professional athletes because we all kept the same hours. You know, we were all at the gym during the day when everybody else was working. And a lot of us worked at night. I mean, a lot of my gigs were at night. I was yeah. flying every one. Well, I was one of the first guys that had a manager. There was three of us, Barry DeMay, Gary Stridham, and I. We had a guy named Marty Demersion. I don't know where Marty is now, but he had a company called International Sports Management. And he wanted to dabble into athletics in bodybuilding. And it was a bad deal. So, so, so there was a lot of newness and no one knew what to do with it. I mean, that, those days you couldn't go out and get a Tom Cruise on a cycle and get him to have 16 inch arms. You want a 16, 20 inch arms. You had to come to us. Yeah. So the industry was kind of crazy turning around. So what that did is that led to a lot of infidelity in my life. There was a good, there was a great girl that, um, uh, got drugged through, um, uh, to be a bodybuilding, uh, widow. Um, I, I did a show, uh, guest posing, uh, and I worked it around my honeymoon, <laughs> my ex-wife, my ex-wife. It's not a Hawaii. good idea. <laughs> so I went to Hawaii and did a gig and I had my best man, uh, who was there and he knew Arnold and stuff. So we all went and I did a bodybuilding show and she just, after we were divorced, she said, you know, I knew we were screwed up when you left the, uh, um, mm. to go <laughs> the day after we got married to do bodybuilding. I go, honey, you knew what I did. So, well, so it's interesting. Not- you, you were yeah. talking about ego. I mean, yeah. I got to imagine um, at that level of athleticism, when you're building your body in that way, that's got to take. And of course, the steroids don't help. Right. That inflames everything. Um, that's just got to take over your mind. Like I got to get to the gym. It's just got to take over everything. It's your purpose. Yeah, it really is. You know, and I believe that purpose fuels passion. You know, I believe purpose, the input and passion is the output. I think Simon Sinek is uh, coined. Oh, yeah. Point. Yep. But 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 I believe that that was my purpose. That was my whole drive in life. Um, Pete Grimkowski, uh, who was the president of Gold's Gym, got me a belt. Well, no, he got a belt buckle for me, and it said Mr. America. He goes, Tom, just put the date on it. And I never did. I wanted to be two things. Of course, you grew up in California back then, Gold's Gym in LA is the mecca of bodybuilding. Two things you wanted to be, Mr. California, and you yeah. wanted to go on to be Mr. America. Yeah. And that was just everybody's dream. Everybody came to California to do that. And uh, I did it. And I, and I remember, I'll never forget this, Mike. And I tell people this. I thought, you know, I, I was waiting for the uh, feature of Muscle and Fitness to come out with uh, declaring my current victory as Mr. California. Some photos, you know, just that's kind of that's kind of what you're shooting for. Yeah. I did a lot of photo shoots of my teens and things. It's a whole nother story. So I was making a lot of money just in the magazines with print work way before the title. But I had a photographer, Mike, um, uh, or John Bailey. He used to be an owner of Ironman. He told me once on a young photo shoot when I was a teenager, he said, Tom, he goes, we got enough pictures of you. Now you need to go out and win some titles. So I was like, oh, that's how we, I go, that's how we do this, you know? And then my titles uh, became uh, um, the revenue of income through sponsors or promotion or guest appearances. And so as you did that, um, your, your life just kept going down a rat hole. I was traveling yeah. all the time. You know, uh, uh, you're starting to realize this was an industry. I had to make money. How I placed was how I did. And so it just, it was a whole thing. So I never did accomplish the America, um, but, but I did compete in the America. I did one thing that I'm really proud of. In the 87 Nationals, I went in drug-free. And I, did, I placed 11th mm-hmm. in a class that was crazy. Sean Ray won the class, went on to have a great career. And uh, I, I went in and I was doing growth hormones. So I tell people I was doing growth hormones. I wasn't doing any anabolics. And what happened was if you could place in the top 10 of your class, they were drug testing the universe that year. And so I was coming up and I had my drug test run. I had a great trainer, Glenn Birkenkamp. And as we were going there, I, um, I, I was testing. I had every, all the tests good. My levels were good. And I placed 11th. And so I placed one slot out of being able to be tested and nobody in the top 10 went because they were all using. So, so, so I realized now, as I look back at that, Mike, I do believe that was God's hand at a time where I needed to leave. So that at, the day after that show, I called Joe Weeder and I said, Joe, I'm out. He laughed because he said, Tom, everybody says that. And I said, <laughs> no, I, the only thing I did that was smart, Mike, is that my dad, I never listened to my dad. My dad was a good man. Mm. He ran away from home when he was 11. So he, he didn't know how to do it. He was a truck driver. He left at 6 a.m., came home at, you know, usually midnight. So we, my brother and I didn't see him. We didn't have a man influence in our life. Yeah. 
that taught us how to be a man. We kind of learned that on our own. And you leave a man on his own, he's going to yeah. find, he's going to find the dark side. There's no doubt. So, so, so I'll never forget this. I'll never forget the first person to ever witness to me. And um, it was my manager, Marty Demersion. It was, he drove up in his red Corvette outside of Gold's Gym. We had a meeting. I used to, I, side note, I uh, worked for he, uh, Battelle and I was He-Man. And uh, in the 80s, um, the, the uh, comic book and the, the, the cartoon was a sensation. They put it in the movies. Yeah. Mattel went out to hire us because we fit the role to open up the movies uh, across the United States. So I did West Coast and up to Texas. They had a guy in mid, mid the United States and then East Coast. But then I started going all the way to the East Coast. And so that was a whole different gig. But I'm just saying, so, so as, as you're doing these things, all that's happening. So Marty was going to meet with me about the He-Man gig because it was a fantastic gig. Wow. Yeah. The, the, the downfall was it though, She-Ra, which is, if you know the storyline, was, was He-Man's sister, came from the Playboy agency. That wasn't good. <laughs> Just, <laughs> that wasn't the wisest thing that they ever did for us guys. So so as he picked me up, we got in the car and, and Gary and Barry, Barry's from Holland and uh, Mike, uh, Gary's from uh, South Africa. We started realizing we weren't doing the weird stuff. When I say the weird stuff, you know, of course, we're going to attract uh, people who have a same-sex attraction in bodybuilding. That's what we—that's what the sport was kind of known for. But it yeah. didn't invade the sport. It really didn't. I have so many friends that have a different lifestyle than I do. And hey, the way I believe, we all get seventy-five years on the earth. They want to live that way. They got to suffer consequences. You know, I, you know, I'm not the gatekeeper of heaven. Yeah, I, can tell right. you how to, I can tell you what are the procedures that are going to be better for you. So my manager pulled up. We know we noticed we weren't doing the weird stuff anymore. And so I sat there and Gary had called me and Barry and they said, Tom, what are you? Are you doing all the weird stuff? And I go, no, I'm not. And I so Marty pulled up and we were going to lunch and he's driving. I go, I go, Marty, I go we're just worried that there's something wrong with this because Hey, no problem, but we're not doing some of the questionable things, the, the shadier things. And uh, Marty goes, Tom, he goes, I've accepted Christ uh, in my heart and I can't have you guys exposed to that stuff anymore. And what I was go, your wow. first thought when you heard that? I, I was blown away because I knew Marty's behavior had changed. So huh. did so did Barry and Holland and so did visibly. Gary. So you guys know this guy, there's oh. something different about this guy. Oh. Right. And, and, and so Marty was big in the industry. Yeah. And so, and so he just said, I can't do that anymore. He goes, mm. Tom, do you want to know about Jesus? And I said, no, nah, that's good. <laughs> but I, but I felt God tapping on my shoulder. Yeah. So when I was in 87 and that happened probably in 86. And so in 87, after the nationals, I called Joe and I wanted to be out. The only thing I did, I started there and I got down a rabbit hole. The only thing I did was I listened to my dad. My dad says, Tom, this isn't real. And I, I, I would always had daddy issues. So I threw it in his face and I said, dad, you want to see my money? I throw my money. I had cars. I had a brand new two, two eighty Z and I parked it in front of his house just to show him that I had stuff. And my dad sold my car. I don't know how he mm. sold my car, but he just sold it. He goes, Hey, where do I send the money? That car just, he goes, I thought you forgot about it, Tom. I had two or three cars, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle. But he goes, Tom, yeah. he goes, I want to tell you something. He goes, This isn't real. And I never realized that. So Your dad said I, that? I, my dad said that. My dad said, Tom, this isn't real. Now, I, there again, I want to show him all the material things, but my dad yeah. was talking about something deeper. And yeah. um, so he says, Tom, you need an education. So I got one. That's the only thing I listen to my dad. I'm, I tell people I'm a jock on the outside, but I'm a nerd on the inside. Went back to school and I got my um, bachelor's in computer science. Now in the seventies, universities weren't teaching this. I mean, we're talking eight, 80 column Hollerith cards. You may know what that is, Mike. You know, when you card punches in the old days, with the computer input and output, but a lot of your audience doesn't know what an 80 column. You have to go to Smithsonian's to see those things. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And, and I so, 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 so I, I did that and I was able to get out and I moved back home, a broken man with a divorce, mm. a 27 year old guy looking for a new career. So when I was back in town, I had a, a friend of mine, that I lived with because I was having a house built in Bakersfield because I was, you know, just, you know, there again, I was just starting over and uh, there was, there was an emptiness and a, kind of a hollowness. And I think a lot of men stuff everything into, and I stuffed uh, 
drugs, women, and um, bodybuilding into that hole and found out it didn't satisfy. I tell yeah. people that, that are climbing that side of fitness. And now there's so many areas of fitness nowadays that, that, that people can get tied up. And I go, I've been, top, been to the top of the mountain, looked over there, and there's nothing there. You got, you got some trophies. But at 64, I can tell you what is there. I had stage four kidney disease. I have a, <laughs> I have a heart problem. I had a divorce that failed. I had an ego problem I didn't know I had. And, and so you have all these things. And, and that's where I, I knew it was empty, uh, Mike. And uh, uh, I well, knew what Tommy. Point? You got all that stuff going on, right? Yeah. You're, you're aware of it. But well, at, it, there's got to be a pivot point, right? At what point well, did you go, wait a second? There's well, got to well, be something there, more. There, there was a lot of things going in my mind, Mike, because I knew Tommy was screwed up. I knew that it was obvious to me, you know, and it wasn't obvious because I didn't have money or things or opportunities. I mean, I backed out of my career. I, I call myself the underachieving Mr. California. So everybody's coveted that title and they went on to do much better things than I did. But, but what I saw was, is that I took a move lateral to go upwards. I, 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 I left the sport and, um, and you know, a lot of people thought that I had more to do and, I knew inside I was done. I was drained. I was drug out. There's an underbelly to bodybuilding and fitness yeah. and Hollywood. And when you mix them all, you can get lost and go down a rabbit hole. So, so I knew I screwed up but a lot of people because uh, I got into lifting and athletics because I have a speech impediment. I was diagnosed in seventh, uh, in seven, when I was seven in second grade, a lot of people don't remember the little carts that came around. We were in elementary school and they tested your ears and your speech. And with my, with my lisp, uh, the minute I hit six and sevens, they would put me in special classes. So all my friends would always tell me, there goes Tom, we'll see you in a month because I, I didn't realize it, but it's really more of a, uh, um, a, uh, um, a mechanical issue with my mouth because I'm a tongue thruster. So I have a lisp, but it sent me down a rat hole that I wasn't good enough. Yeah. How did that exactly? I was in the, I was, in, that affect I was in special classes yeah. and when they realized it was just my speech, speech issue in the sixties, they weren't working on this stuff, Mike. And so my yeah. wife is a, my wife is a superintendent of school district and she goes, Tom, you just got lost in a system that didn't know what to do with you back then. So when I got into bodybuilding, I really didn't want people to come close to me. Flex magazine did an article on me one time and it's back when the Walkmans were popular and I had a Walkman on and we were doing an in gym um, interview and they said, well, what music do you listen to? And I looked around, I go, honestly, there's no music in there. So I open it up and they go, why don't you listen to music? I go, I just don't want people to talk to me. Ooh. I just, I, I just, I, 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 I wow. have a list. So, so I had to overcome that some degree when I became a host on ESPN muscle magazine, I started getting some success and I needed to start speaking at seminars. Yeah. And so I started taking speech classes, learned a lot about myself, learned that I wasn't, I wasn't dumb. I wasn't retarded. I wasn't special. I just had a motor and a mechanics issue that could be fixed. And so I started walking through that. So, but I, but I had a few issues with myself. So, so as, as I was progressing through all this, uh, my first career, I, I, I thought I would be big and I would intimidate people, which I did, but they wouldn't want to come near me. I ended up having fans. And so I started getting things pulled out of me, which were you know, which I thought were a, a, a holdup, but, but I never forget one night I was sitting on a Saturday night and we used to go out and, you know, my buddy and I would go out drinking and that kind of stuff. And I had a desire to do something different and it was to go to church. Now, I, you know, with my family is weird because we never had a knowledge of that. My dad made a very emphatic impression on us. No religion. Religion's no good. It doesn't work. It's a bunch of baloney. And, and so, um, I, I just knew that there was something I needed and I thought maybe it was there. So I didn't know how to go to church. My buddy said, yeah. Hey, we just, what church you want to go to? I go, well, we probably need to start calling them because we're good people. <laughs> They're good people. We're bad people. They don't want us in there. We probably got to go some classes, you know, yeah. I, I had already been, I had, I already had an anger issue with my anabolic steroid juice yeah. because I was ordered to go to a couple of anger management classes. And so I knew that, that, you know, I had an anger problem and there was something else I couldn't do is I couldn't kick anabolics. Now that was something hmm. I never 
thought I would be stuck on after my, I mean, I made money with my muscles. I used to always laugh at people who took anabolics and didn't make money. I go, you know, you're risking your health. I knew that part. I had, I had great doctors back then. I mean, Joe Weider made sure I got taken care of, Sure. but, 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 but we knew that it was causing us health problems. I mean, I knew with my blood doping that that wasn't normal. That wasn't good. And so, so, so as I knew all this thing wasn't good, I just couldn't kick it. So what I did is I went on a cleaner drug. I went on a, a, a drug called Anivar and Escaline, which is a, a, a both um, drugs for a pig and horses. I mean, that, how, that's how deep your mind goes down the rabbit hole. Right. And, um, and you know, you're figuring out the dose. You know, you got a 1,200 pound thoroughbred takes this much um, equipoise. How much should a 240 well, man? Well, when you're an addict, right? You're addicted to something. I, you right. don't care how you get there. Doesn't matter. You know, but I just knew I couldn't kick it because yeah. it was who I was. So I tell people that uh, I went to church one day and uh, uh, we were there and the, uh, the person came out and he says, he goes, you know what? I screwed up this week. If you give me uh, 50 minutes, I'm going to show you how not to screw up. And I looked at my buddy, I go, <laughs> I haven't heard that yet. <laughs> and it's I go, I got 50 minutes because I've been trying <laughs> to figure this out. And so he shared Christ. And, you know, of course, you know, he talks about salvation and all of a sudden I'm like, that's the key, but I still had the ego and I was like, but I'm not going to do it in here, you know? Yeah. And so it took me three times before I finally did it, raised my hand and doggone it. He said, that's not good enough. I need you guys to get up and come to the altar. And I go, there ain't no way I'm doing that. <laughs> I, for the last three weeks, that's all he's wanted. <laughs> I go, I'm not getting up. But I, I, I had this pull on me, Mike. Yeah. That was like, it, and I did, and I got connected with an old friend who was there. He was the pastor, and and so I, 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 I got in there. But in the meantime, I was uh, a, a corporate VP for an agribusiness firm, international. So I, I was doing well, and I'll never forget this because people go, "Does it make a difference even in the corporate?" Well, I said, "Absolutely," because when you're in the ministry, and I've been in the ministry 26 years now. This is my third career. I've had 10 years in bodybuilding. I had 16 years in the corporate world, and I'm now 27 in the ministry. Started, like people will try to figure that out. I, you know, I started in bodybuilding when I was 17, 18 years old, and I've been working ever since. But, but um, uh, in the corporate world, I, I had a location here in Bigfoot, California. It was our corporate headquarters for Sunworld. And um, I had a little operations manager. She was from Alabama named Diane Bailey. And um, we're friends on Facebook, so she'll hope she'll see this. She came in my office, and about and about ten employees from this location came in, and she says, "She goes, we we all want to know what you all have done to change." And I looked at him. I go, "Is it that evident?" And she goes, "Yes." I go, yeah. "Well, I've accepted Christ." She goes, "I told you all that," and they walked out. And I said, "No, Diane, hold on." I go, "Hold on." I Nobody go, wanted it, to know anymore. I go, "Is it that evident?" She goes, "It is." And so I realized. You know, it, it, you know, I didn't even see yeah. a drastic change. It just became subtle. So, so, so Mike, I like working with men now because I've got a heart for that because men are just, we're built a weird way. We just really are. Our <laughs> ego is the first thing. What does the Bible say? Pride comes before the fall. Yeah. Humility comes before exaltation. So, so that, so that's my story that got me to the point where now I've been there. I ran into a friend the other day. And you know how people lose time, kids grow up. And I, I saw him, he goes, hey, Tom, I haven't seen you for a while. I go, yeah. He goes, so you still doing that church thing? And I go, <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean being in the ministry? I go, yeah. He goes, how long has that been? Five, 10 years? I go, let's try 27 years. And wow. he goes, well, I guess, he goes, I guess it worked. I go, oh, dude, this is a lifestyle. This isn't, this isn't a fad, but everybody felt it was a fad because I had given that impression before. I had chased these other things. Uh, and, and, and stuffed them into my life. And, uh, and it, and it took me, um, I would say Mike, probably three years, uh, to, um, untangle myself yeah. from everything that I had been in. You know, I, I, now the remarkable thing is with my anabolic addiction, I started knowing who I was in Christ, which is what gave me a new identity, which allowed me to lose the, the, the imagery that I had, because I tell people bodybuilding or fitness is the only sport you can wear. You know, yeah, let, like, let's talk about that a little bit, because that whole I 
area of identity is something men get lost in big time. And I have to imagine because you're you're a physical beast, you're a physical specimen. That's what people see. Obviously, they can't see what's going on in the inside. Nobody can see what's going on in the inside of any of us. But when you're built like you were, that's a whole different thing. And that's how that's how people begin to identify you. So how did you take all that and go, you know, wait, I'm a beloved son of God. I'm not that guy. You you know, when it starts, it is the thing that fuels it because, you know, know, everybody wants big biceps. Everybody. You know, there's two things that I can do, and I've naturally I have genetics. And sure. so you tell people, you know, bodybuilders are born, they're not made because you need genetics, and then you see how far you can go in them. Right. But um, the bigger you got, you know, when I when I was living in LA, I didn't realize how much of a freak we were, you know, when <laughs> until I'd come back to my hometown. And you know, you'd work out in the gym and you're like, you know, <laughs> lifting so much more than everybody else, but you're so drug aided. Because you have yeah. the best, uh, you know, especially when somebody's invested in you, you know, you're getting the best in, um, and I was fortunate to do that. And so as you do get larger and bigger, you get freakier and that becomes who you are because people look at you like a freak. I mean, I, I got a haircut one time and I had a, a, a stylist there on road on a cannon drive, a block off of Rodale. And I, it was Arnold came out and everybody wanted a commando cut. And so I kept bugging him for it. And he finally did it. I remember walking out of his shop, walking down Cannon, made a left, walked west to Rodale. And people kept walking by me and they would glance at me. They would kind of side stare. That wasn't different for me back then because my biceps were 21 inches. My legs were 34 inches. You know, you're, you're this big beast. In the 80s, we have this loud clothes. I had a clothing line called Tommy T's. We had the balloon pants. It was just, you know, and so, and so you were a sight to see in LA even. And so, but I would turn around and look at people and they were bent over laughing at me because I looked like that cartoon character that has a little tiny head and the enormous body with this commando cut, which my, much my, uh, uh, hairstylist, um, uh, Bill Bologna didn't want to give me, but he finally says, fine, Tom, you want it? I'm going to give it to you, live through it. That was the hardest haircut I ever outgrew. Because when I look at myself, we knew we were monsters and that was our identity. So, so fast forwarding, when I started coming off the anabolics, people don't realize when you start doing those things that that's not really who you are. That yeah. is a fake identity and people are going to lose yeah. that. And, it, and, and if you, it, I know I have so many friends that are older, still using um, anabolics and whatever they want, that's their business, but they still haven't become, got peace with who they are. And I think two things will force you to get peace with who you are, age and your health. I always tell people, if you don't take care of your wellness, you're going to have to make time to take care of your illness. So when I was told I had stage four kidney disease, I was like, what? My doctor goes, Tom, you've tried to kill your kidneys all your life. Good. Congratulations. You achieved it. But I was able to work through it. And I'm at a stage two now, Uh, no dialysis or that kind of stuff, but it's all my anabolic use. But the biggest thing was looking in the mirror and seeing that who is looking back at you is not who you've grown up with. I went right. from a five X shirt and my, I've, I'm married to a wonderful girl, Tiffany. And, um, and, and we have two beautiful daughters and um, my wife was throwing away some old stuff. Cause we have some of my old stuff. It's all from the attic. And um, she goes, do you want to keep these five X shirts? I go, no, I'm never getting back into five X clothes. And so I, I go, let me try one of those on. And I did. And I was like, holy smokes, that was who I was. But I was, my wife told me, she goes, I like this version of you better. <laughs> well, version. talk, let's talk about that. Uh, get into that a little bit. So, you know, you're, you're a little like me now you, you're, you're chasing the hearts of men. How do you take what you've learned about that whole world of identity, which is more or less the false self, right? The, the, the mask that we wear, how do you, how do you help guys now understand their true selves and whose they really belong to? How do how do you transition that based on your life experience? Well, you know, I still realize, and I will say this always that we all have an area of influence. Mm-hmm. I ran for mine for a long time. Mike, <laughs> um, um, cause I, I, I thought that was a masculine rite of passage. Yeah. I wanted to run from it. And I realized that 
you know, when I'm finding out more about God, he likes to use those areas. My first Bible study I ever did, I wanted to do a Bible study and I wasn't on staff and I did it. And I uh, tried, I just advertised in the church bulletin and from the pulpit and um, I didn't do it. Other people said, Hey, Tom's going to do a Bible study. So the first time I remember making cookies and waiting for it and no one showed up. And I was like, huh, why don't I show up? So I did it the second week. No one showed up. Did it the third week. No one showed up. I'm just eating cookies now. And I'm like, man, what am I doing? And I felt God told me, Tom, you're fishing in the wrong pond. You have an area of influence at the gym and in fitness. So I'll never forget walking into the gym that mm. night. And a, and, a, and a guy walked up to me, an old muscle head, and said, hey, what's this thing you're having on Thursday night at your house? I go, well, I'm not having nothing because no one shows up. <laughs> and he goes, what? He goes, I'll come. And I go, in my mind, I'm going, I don't know if I want you. <laughs> I was like, this is for good people. It's not for you guys. Because I was still messing around with this idea. So I ended up uh, starting that. And, and Mike, it was probably the craziest Bible study I ever had. Because I ended up about 60 or 70 guys in my house. Just all gym rats, muscle heads. Yeah. And it was one of the neatest things. Because I remember all of them were, were, were following in the same hole I did. One with ego, one with pride, and they were still chest chasing it at different ages. And so we all found Christ together. And so I always felt that, you know, men are searching for something. They have to have somebody that, yeah. that, that has an influence in their yeah. life. So yeah. when I find influence in somebody's life, I try to just be myself because that question will come around. I just try loving them. I mean, Jesus said, consider others more important yourself. So a lot of people will start asking me about working out and stuff. And I, I've lost all my edge and things like that as far as knowledge. And, um, and so I'll just take them to what I do as a 64 year old man. I I'll tell them what I do and they'll talk to me about anabolics and I'll actually tell them, I go, Hey, if you want me to help you with anabolics, I will. And they go, Oh, you'll, you'll help me with that. I go, you're going to do them, not me. I go, you might as well do them right if you're going to do them. And so it gives me an opportunity to speak into the life and show them how stupid it is. That's yeah. where I'm going the whole time. I'm not saying, yes, that's okay. I'm just saying, why are you doing it? And I'm trying to get back to their why. That's Simon Sinek's thing, the why. So, so as I talk to guys, there's always a deficiency and it's always self. The men are, yeah. men are made. Well, you know, there again, I work for first responders now in a nonprofit we have. And, um, and, and there again, this thing called testosterone is such bondage to men. <laughs> you know, it is. And it hits us young. Oh, my yeah. gosh, it hits us young. And it chases us. And we all are thought, and I, I, I think, you know, and what I love to see is when men have it right. Their identities in Christ with whoever they are, they're, they're fulfilling what they feel they're called to be. I love it when guys work out and I love them to see the gains they can make. I've got a guy in our life that helps us with a show called Muscle Matters. And his name is Steve Southers in town. He has a Sportslanders West nutrition store. Steve will, will, he will sell people stuff that they, that, that they need, not what they want. I mean, he'll sell the SARMs as forms, but it gives them a chance to talk to them. Like, why are you going that direction? Because I think when you talk to men, why are you going that direction? It's ego. It's maybe jealousy. I want to catch somebody else. I want to look like that. If I'm yeah. that, I'll be happy. And, you, and, and so, and one thing I do know is that you're not going to push a man into something he doesn't want to do. <laughs> you know? And I think that's. A, no, a it's really, thing. it's really true. But, you know, we live in such a culture right now that uh right we're all chasing these big houses i was driving through a neighborhood in atlanta the other day and even i was like whoa wow yeah. uh i won't tell you what area it was buckhead uh you know so it, it just a really expensive you know and you know even i go I, I and i i have no want or desire to have houses that big or you know big you know a car full of sports cars i mean that that rabbit hole is long since left me. Right. And I got to tell you, and, and this is what I try to tell guys. I mean, you know, you want nice things. We all want nice things. That's not, I'm not suggesting not to go chase nice things, but when you get right in your heart, those things don't matter like they did before. They just yeah. don't, you know? And, yeah. and I think that that's the conversation that we need to need to have with men more than anything. You know, we just, we just got back from a big men's retreat. Um, uh, retreat. We had five, four, five hundred guys of a big bear. And the one thing that I love about men coming together is you do come in with that alpha ego. Yeah, you know, and they, for they sure. come in, 
and tattoos are, are real popular right now. So everybody's sporting tats and, yep. you know, just that kind of thing. A lot of people working out. And so I love to watch them come in because when they're around a bunch of guys, they're realizing that, you know, maybe I don't have to prove something. Yeah. And, and, I, and I love to watch the progression through worship, teaching. And then I always tell the guys, because I, I did the, the last session um, at the last men retreat we're at for the chapel. I told him, I go, now it's important. You don't forget what you've learned when you go down there. Cause you're going to try to grab on that on, onto your old identity. You're up here. You found something that's giving you some freedom because men, that's the one thing I think is, you know, uh, I grew up in an era where you don't show your emotion. My dad had yeah. one word. My dad never cussed. He's, but when my brother and I were complaining or crying, he'd say, buck up. That <laughs> meant stop, you know, stop what you're doing. Because yeah. men don't do that. Yeah, and right. when I came to Christ, God started to dismantle me and show me that I had a woman problem. And I was like, well, God, I really don't have a woman problem. I can get a woman. And, and God's like, that's the problem. <laughs> it's the need for, it's the need for a woman. That's the problem. I yeah. want the need to be fulfilled in me. And when I started learning that, that was my first largest accomplishment for getting on a road to healing that God did have what I needed. And I had to rethink and the Bible says, and I go back to my programming days with MIS Bible says that we renew our mind, you know, that, 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 that we can take this, what has been pressed in us and renew our mind and become something new. And I you think know. that's like reprogramming, um, you know, even the technology we have, we talked about being on one zoom or another zoom, they don't <laughs> connect. So, so I always talk about, we can renew our mind in Christ Jesus and we can renew our mind from being this man who's a womanizer from being a steroid addict, yeah. from being egotistical for chasing things that aren't real. It's so funny. I, I mean, you, you know, when you look at trophies and stuff and, you're just like, dude, I don't, I, what did that mean in my life? Well, you know, I, it I seems back. a little shallow when you get right uh, with God, doesn't it? When, when yeah. you really put it, when you really put it in perspective, I have a lot of people say, well, Tom, you're a husband. I go, oh, I was something. I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's nice for me. You know, they're like, you're so husband. And I was like, well, he's, you know, maybe I was something, but, but I'm more important now that I'm a husband. Yeah. Um, I, I asked my wife to do something, Mike, and I don't know if you'll agree with me. Some people don't, but every year before a men's retreat, I asked her to grade me as a husband. Oh, she's the only that's one. really, she's it's only, risky. She, well, it is, but you know what? Men want to live risky, don't we? She's yeah. the only, yeah. she is yeah. the only one qualified to do that. And my wife's yes. an educator and she's a superintendent. So she always kind of pushes back on that. And I go, honey, I, I want to change. I want to be the best. Yeah. husband. I want to be the best man, father, yeah. uh, uh, um, employer, employee that I can be a uh, pastor. Um, and uh, I just, I go and need that. So the, the, it was a night of the first night of the men's retreat. I sent her a text, honey, I need my grade. And she said something <laughs> that she tried. Then she tried to distract me. And I go, I need my grade. Don't distract me. So I knew I'd get there. And I asked her, please grade me on a curve because I haven't had a great week. <laughs> and, and so she said, B. And she says, Tom, I need you. I'm not a fixer guy. I've lost that gene. My dad didn't show me how. Yeah. So I don't fix a lot of things around the house. My wife goes, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. That's not who you are. But could you call somebody to fix it if you can? And <laughs> that's I said, me, man. We I, got a lot in common. <laughs> I, I just told her, I go, I can do that. And if that's what yeah. it takes to be a better husband for her, why shouldn't I? I mean, she's my one flesh. So, yeah. so I, I tell people that. And, and so, and so I, 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 that's the mode I am. I still want to be the best man. And one thing that I do know is men have to be together because it says we sharpen each other like iron yes. sharpens iron. That yes. means there has to be sparks. Yeah. Men have to be around men. And you've met Mike Harvey, our producer. Mike is one of those guys in my life. He likes to rub me the wrong way, but for my own good, it's not because he wants to see me fail he wants to see me progress and i'll tell you what i don't think any of us are going to uh, uh progress until we get out of this stuff right here the i always tell people this stuff doesn't make it to heaven <laughs> yeah yeah well and, and I, 
Yeah. yeah. So, Tom, you just reminded me I got to take out the trash, which means, uh, you know, we're, we're going to we're gonna, and I hate to do it. We're going to have to wrap this, this show up. Tom, listen, listen, we're going to put the all your information in the show notes. But how can they how can they get a hold of you and, and find out more about what you're doing and that type of thing? My producer just handed me this. So I'll show you this. Tom Touchstone. <laughs> There's a first on the show. Look at there. Freedom.org. When you have a producer that's one of your best friends and um, ministry partners, you, you get this stuff. But, but, but I, I, need, I need, you know, Mike, that's what I love to surround myself with young people yeah. as yeah. men. I think we do need that Paul-Timothy relationship yes. where we have older men that's pulling us this way and we have younger men that we're able to pull along with this. And I think men need to pour, older men need to pour into younger guys. Amen. Because, you know, especially if they don't have fathers, and we're living in a fatherless generation, that's another topic. Oh, yes. but, um, but if you're out there and you're a man, hey, pride comes before the fall. If you don't believe me, wait for the tumble. <laughs> Humility comes before exaltation. And, I, and I'm just telling you, it's worth it. I wish I, wish I wouldn't have come to the Lord at 34. I wish I'd have come to the Lord at 14. I would have given up all that stuff for what I know now. Yeah. You know, Tom, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. And I say this yeah. all the time and I kind of laugh about it because I'm 52. So I, 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 I say to people because I hear it all the time. You know, honestly, if I had a dollar for everybody that said, gosh, I wish I had known that when I was 20 something, I'd yeah. be an incredibly wealthy man. But, uh, you know, that that's kind of something that we all have to go through. And it points back to what you're saying. You know, if you're a younger dude, seek out a sage, right? And if you don't know what that is, pick up John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, and yes. read about the man's stage oh. of life, okay? Uh-oh, I got him off on a whole other topic. Oh, my gosh, that is one of my most favorite <laughs> books. Yep, that, so get it. That is it. There, yeah. So, so fi figure that out, you know, get with the sage and, um, you know, I, I, that's something that I, I try to surround myself with because there, there, I always say this, there are no shortcuts in life, but you can take a real, uh, quick U-turn with a good sage in your life. So, so Tom, absolutely wonderful having you on the show. I enjoyed it very much. I wish we had Love all day, it. but I don't know that anybody would listen that long. So, <laughs> Well, we're going to get you on our show, Mike, because you do a sensational job. People need to consume your content. Thank you. I appreciate that, Tom. Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate hey, it. Thank, thank you, guys. Awesome. God bless. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with Tom Touchdown. What an incredible guest. Tom shared some great stories, old school stories on the podcast. How about the fact he worked with Mattel Corporation? corporation representing he-man action figures wow if you recall this is part of the master of the universe series now you know i think the challenges of a lot of men is is we all want to be the he-man and the master of the universe for our family and sometimes we do it at a high cost so tom talked about his use of steroids on the podcast you know for athletes like tom back in the 70s and 80s this was a common practice and uh, often used without repercussion of the ultimate damage that you could do to your body. In fact, it was flat out taken out of ego in most cases to build strength, to, to build a look, to get the girls, to get attention. And it worked. That was just part of that generation back then. And as a kid, I remember reading a lot about the articles that were coming out in regards to what damage steroids could do to your body. It definitely discouraged me, but it didn't discourage a lot of people. Now, listen, we all have an ego, so I'm not being critical of the fact that men, you know, like Tom had to, um, you know, went through what they went through and uh, to survive even the challenges in front of him. He had to face his faith and his relationships with Christ head on at a certain point as he, he came to the decision that this was not a lifestyle that he wanted to live. And listen, I think that happens to a lot of us in one form or another in our lives. And I, I just don't think Tom is all that unusual in the demons that he faced. In fact, many men live in the small story of thinking 
that a relationship, a drug, or some other chemical or some other addiction will help them get through the next hour, the next day, the next week. But the reality is, it won't. And that kind of thinking is shallow. And it's weak. And in reality, it really has the potential to break you. Now, my goal as a coach is to not see you both broken, but thriving and succeeding in life. And I know deep down you want that for yourself. Now, Tom talked about divorce, a kidney problem, an ego problem as a result of trying to live up to the he-man that he fictionally played in life. Now, here's a scientific fact. The heart overrules the mind. And what I found is many men walk around allowing the head to rule the heart. Now, this is also where faith comes into play. You see, we are saved through faith, faith that's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. The mind and the heart, you see, must both be engaged in this faith process and faith to God. We must believe and trust in God, and believing requires the mind, but to trust someone including yourself, requires the heart. Now, we know that we are saved through believing certain facts about God. So God sent us his only son into the world. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. Jesus ascended into heaven, and God sent his spirit to dwell in the people here down on earth to be Christians. And these are just some of the basic important facts that as Christians, we all believe. Now, some of us come to that harder than others. You heard Tom's story and his transition into life with God. He was, you know, at that point more full and honestly bigger than he was when he was lifting weights professionally. And I don't mean physically. I mean, from a faith perspective, when he stopped searching for something to fill that void in his life and he put his faith and trust in God, his heart filled along with his faith. And you know, I think a lot of guys are searching for more in their life and we are looking, you know, the end of the year down the throat here. We're getting ready to head into the last quarter. And you know, a lot of folks set goals. Where are you at in that process at this point as we head into the end of the year? Have you, are you achieving or is there deficiency there? Is there some way that we can pump you up and make you stronger like Tom? Well, listen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to end the year strong. And I want you to be stronger headed into 2023, knowing that your life is on track. So reach out to me at Mike at True Man Life Coaching. And let's have a discovery call and talk about ending the year strong. Now, if you enjoyed the podcast today, what I would ask you to do is please leave us a great review on your favorite podcast channel. We always enjoy reviews and we enjoy your feedback. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show and the interview with Tom Touchstone. Like I said, if you did, leave us a great review. Now go out and make this your best day ever. Improve your life today with Mike Van Pelt and True Man Life Coaching. Let's develop a roadmap of discovery that leads to success and satisfaction in your life. For additional information and details on how to schedule an initial coaching call, go to truemanlifecoaching.com.